Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Shall we turn to the Lord of the word before we get into the word of the Lord? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, would you visit us today in a special way for Jesus' sake? Amen. Welcome, everyone. Today's text is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it is the second part of the gospel. Front page news, part two. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I'm going to be reading from the ESV. And I'm going to ask you not only to listen carefully as we read, but I'm going to ask you if you have your manuscript, whether physical or electronic, I'm going to ask you to follow with me in the text. And I mean, often we say it, we're going to go through the word, but is the word going through us? One of the things that's going to help us is to be really attentive to it because what I've got to say ain't really that important unless it's based on what this is saying. Amen? So I'm going to ask you to, to do those two things. Listen carefully as we read and then also please follow in the text. So First Corinthians 15, hopefully you're there now. <clears throat> Verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Last week was an introduction. We didn't even touch the text last week. I don't know if you noticed that. No one ever said nothing to me. Like, Pastor Rob, well, go on. You read the text, you never even dealt with the text. Now, I know some of you are thinking, that I don't know if he was not brave enough to come and talk to me, but we're going to touch it today by the grace of God. Last week, we began to talk about what? <clears throat> News. News, remember? Read all about it. Question, what is black and white and red all over? Newspapers. And we said that the Bible is like a newspaper, right? Containing 
news. And we said that you can sum up the whole Bible, which is like a newspaper containing important news. You can sum up the whole Bible in in four words, right? And we said that those four words were creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. And we broke that down last week. And we said that creation, fall, redemption, and consummation was the meta-narrative or the big story, the storyline of the whole Bible. Creation, God makes the universe, right? In Genesis 1 and 2. And then man falls, man flops, he fails, he fell the fall. And that in Genesis 3, I mean just two chapters after God started this wonderful purpose within two chapters of God creating man, man messes up everything. And then right on the heels of man falling, we see redemption and God introducing a plan to rescue, to restore, to redeem mankind. See that in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, right? And the whole story of redemption starts at that point. That's what the whole of the rest of the whole Bible is all about. All 1,184 chapters after Genesis 3.15, right up to Revelation chapter 20, redemption. And then the last one, consummation. Last two chapters, Revelation chapter 21 and 22, when it all gets wrapped up. The end, or the end of the world, at least in terms of the way that we know it, right? When God brings in a new heavens and a new earth. That's the Bible in four words. And we said that if the Bible were a newspaper, these would be the four important elements that would be contained. Now, that's all about the what. And we can see what the Bible is about. How about the who? And this is what the front page would be dominated by. This would be the the main headline, and it's a person. And his name is Jesus, because he is the primary character of this big story, the Bible. And he's the fundamental message of the Bible. And we'll hear Paul remind us of that fact in a moment. The good news is all about him. It's all about Jesus. And we substantiated that right by looking at Luke chapter 24. And a good summary verse would be verse 44, which is the verse I was scrambling for last week that no one, again, no one ever helped me on. You know, I went to, I went to Southampton University two weeks ago on a Wednesday night to, 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 to um, share my testimony at this uni, they had a mission week. And I'm there and I'm telling my testament. Obviously, I'm going to talk a little bit about rap because they all want to know about my background in terms of music. So I'm talking about rap. And they look all puzzled. And I said to them, aren't you guys familiar with rap? Because they all seem like middle class, kind of white, predominantly. I'm like, you don't, I don't know what rap is. I said, have you guys seen Nine Mile? <laughs> I was thinking, what's been on my mind recently is Nine Marks, the church um, that Mark never passes and I had nine I must have had nine marks in my have you heard of nine mile and everybody looked at me and no one ever said nothing to me I said you ain't heard of nine mile to fight the film with Eminem in it after the break you know after I done embarrassed myself I'm down and I'm getting a drink um one of the guys come up to me and he says oh by the way he says you know you mentioned that film it's, it's actually eight miles it's not nine. <laughs> 
I'm like, so what, you couldn't tell me that when I was standing there? Just like you lot last week, I was scrambling for verse 44. Couldn't find it. Thank the Lord, I found it. And um, here it is. Here it is. There it is. Verse 44, Luke 24, a great summary with regards to what we were talking about. Verse 44 says, then he, um, that is Jesus, he said to them, that is his disciples, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me, where? In the the Old Testament, in the law of Moses. I said, I, I quoted four books, it's actually five in the Pentateuch last week. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the books of Moses. And the prophets. So many, I'm not going to name them. And the Psalms. I mean, that's pretty much the whole of the Old Testament. Jesus said, it it must be fulfilled and it all talks about me. We would argue that all the Bible speaks about Jesus. And he's the epitome of this good news. And this good news, this gospel, is something that we need to be reminded of regularly. You'd be like, but I know the gospel. Yeah, I know you know the gospel, but we still need to remind you. I need to be reminded. It's news that, no doubt, you've heard before. But my aim today is to bring this back again to your remembrance. Because just like Jesus' disciples in Luke 24, we easily forget. And so did the the Christians in Corinth. That's why Paul writes in verse 1 of our text, if you look at it with me, now I would what? All right, there was only one one person got their Bible open. My gosh, okay. He says in verse 1, he says, now I would, thank you Adam, I would remind you, that's a good name you know. Now I would remind you, brothers, What Paul is about to say, he's already said to these Christians before. He's not reminding them. Jesus' disciples, in Luke 24, they needed reminding. These Christians in Corinth, they also need reminding. And guess what? We, the church that's in London, we also consistently, constantly need what? Reminding. Thank you, guys on the front row. Now, Paul is speaking to Christians in Corinth. Where's Corinth? It's in Greece. And these Christians in Corinth are very immature and very carnal. They pretty much reflect the environment that they live in. And Corinth was very much like London. I mean, if, if in them days somebody called you a Corinthian, that would be, that would be like a cuss. Corinth. And these Christians, they're just, to some degree, they're just like the unbelievers that they're surrounded by. They're very immature and very carnal. A bit like us, actually. We have a lot in common. This is a long letter from Paul. And in the main, what he's doing is responding to issues, but he's also responding to questions that these Christians have, have sent him, whether it's by way of letter or some way they've communicated it to him. In chapter 1 and chapter 3, Paul d- deals with issues of division, and, 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 and favoritism in chapter 1 and chapter 3. Division of this in the church. In chapter 5 and chapter 6, there's ungodly sexual activity. There's drunkenness. There's, there's grievances between believers leading to lawsuits and them suing one another. There are 
men sleeping with prostitutes. Now you hear that and you see how that easily reflects the day in which we live. You see how that easily, I would add, reflects the church. These things ought not to be so, but they are, they are so. Chapter 7, Paul answers some questions about relationships, about singleness, and about marriage. I'm not so sure if that one relates to us. What do you think? In chapter 8 and chapter 10, Paul deals with idolatry. And their idolatry was more traditional, right? They were bowing down to statues and offering sacrifices to, to, to literal wooden or stone statues. Now, our, our idolatry is much more subtle than that. Our idolatry is much more sophisticated than that. We don't bow down to wooden statues, but how many of you know we do bow down? How many of you know we do worship? Because worship is actually giving of yourself to something or someone that you highly esteem. And you sacrifice your time, your effort, your energy, your money to your idol. And how many of you know we all have them? Someone said that our hearts are an idol-making factory. Just because you don't bow down to something, and we worship things like cars and houses and careers and physical appearance and position, and parents, and children. These are some of the things that we worship. Someone's listening to the podcast while the podcast is actually going on. That's crazy. Wow. It's one of Coco's songs, isn't it, the beginning of the podcast. Paul's answer, actually, chapter 11, that was chapter 8 and chapter 10. Chapter 11 Paul deals with these issues of submission to authority or the lack of submission to authority. He deals with selfishness at communal mealtimes. They were taking communion and some of them were doing what? Getting drunk. It comes up again in chapter 11. Alcohol was a real issue in Corinth. How many of you know some things just don't change? Now, Paul's answer to all of these issues is the same answer to our issues also, and it's the gospel. These were sinful Christians. And you know, there's a big misunderstanding amongst non-Christians, and that is they expect you and me as Christians to have sinless perfection. How many of you know if you're at work, you're at uni, you're at school, wherever you are, if somebody knows that you're Christian and they see you flop, or they see you tell a lie, they're on you, innit? They're on me. Like, wait a minute. You don't think that they know anything about the Bible and two twos, they start quoting verses at you. Someone said that there's two verses that most non-Christians know and it's, don't judge me. (laughs) And the other one is, God has given us all seed-bearing plants And that's their excuse for, for, for smoking ganja, for burning green. They say this, those are the only two verses that most non-Christians don't know. But one of the misconceptions of unbelievers is they look at you and they look at me as Christians and they expect us to be perfect. But that's an unfair expectation. 
But the problem is it's not just unbelievers that have that perception. It's also sometimes us as Christians. And we'll look at others and we're like, hey, wait a minute. And not only do we look at others amongst us and judge one another in that sense, but sometimes we will judge ourselves over harshly to the point where, oh my gosh, I've done that thing yet again. And you struggle to forgive yourself. I mean, not that forgiveness is really even in your hands with regards to yourself. We're supposed to forgive others, but... God forgives us, but sometimes we struggle to forgive ourselves because we have that same perspective, that same worldly, secular, ungodly mindset that I'm supposed to be a Christian, so that means I'm supposed to be perfect. That's not true. Now, the Bible says we're supposed to strive for that. Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And I mention that because we need to, be, we need to understand as Christians that what we are is, we are a work in progress. We're our work in process. See, unbelievers, but also believers don't get this. And we know that generally speaking, these, these Corinthians, they are Christians because of what Paul calls them. Did you see that? He says, verse 1, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of what? The gospel. The good news, the good news about Jesus. He says, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. The first thing he says is that he preached to them. He's reminded them of what he preached, but he's also reminded them that he preached. He preached to them. Paul was a preacher. And as we said last week, a preacher, if you like, to some degree, is like a journalist, like a news correspondent, right? Just like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four what? The four Gospels, or the Gospel according to Matthew or Mark. Or <clears throat> Out of those four Gospels, out of those four, which two were of the original twelve? Because you think, oh man, I thought all of them were disciples of Jesus in the original 12. No, they weren't. Thank you. Matthew and John. Matthew, tax collector, Jesus called him from his booth. And also John the beloved, little brother of James. Those two were two of the 12. But they're the only two. They walked with Jesus for three and a half years. The other two... Mark and Luke, they never walked with Jesus. But they were journalists, although they weren't personal eyewitnesses. Mark, Mark got his appreciation of the gospel that he wrote down from who? From Peter. And Luke never met Jesus. He got his scoop from other sources. He went around collating little bits of evidence from different witnesses at different times in different places. Dr. Luke, he says that at the beginning of the book of Acts, doesn't he? And at the beginning of, of Luke. They were all, nonetheless, journalists, correspondents. And Paul himself was also a journalist. He was a news reporter. 
He was a preacher. Because I said that they were pretty synonymous, right? But he wasn't just a preacher. Paul was also a witness, unlike Mark and Luke, similar to Matthew and John, in that he saw Jesus, but he didn't see Jesus in the flesh, did he? He saw Jesus after his resurrection. But he was an eyewitness. And we'll talk, about more, we'll talk more about that when we get to verse 8. So he says, verse 1, that they, the Corinthians, received the message, the news, his report. And like many of us here today, they believed. They believed the gospel. Question. Have you believed the gospel? Have you believed the good news? I have to ask that question. Have, not only have you believed it, have you received the good news? Now, how many of you know that the word receive is an active, not a passive verb? It's active. It's not passive. And if, if I take my Bible, yeah, and I, and I, and I throw it to you, And you catch it. That's an active response. He was ready. That's an active, you receiving it, you catching it is an active response. Now, if I throw it to you and you stand up there with your arms crossed. And my Bible hit you on your chest and drop on the floor. That's because you were passive. It doesn't mean you're not here. It doesn't mean you're not standing there, and it doesn't mean that I didn't throw it with great accuracy. You just chose not to respond to it. You were passive in your response. Now, I'm going to use an American football um, analogy, even though most of us don't really know that much about American football, but maybe we know enough to get the point. In American football, you know you got... You got you got the bread of the Scot that, that gets the, the they got the huddle or whatever you call, scrimmage or whatever you call it, and then the the ball pops out and then one of the breaders gets the ball and he kind of goes back a little little bit and he aims and he launches the ball. I always try to throw the throw, like throw one of them balls the proper way to put the spin on it. I was showing us one time, you know he's been to America. So the bre- who's the who's the breader that that throws the ball? He's called a quarterback. Now, you've got the next guy who's running, right? And he's running and running and he's looking, he's waiting for the ball. Sometimes they don't even look because they've done so much training and practice. He knows where that's going. They might call some call, I don't know, 43, 55, 62, hot, right? And he knows where the ball's going. So that's him and he might do a little and then he runs down the field and then he'll turn right at that moment. And what will he do? The girl said, catch the ball. And I heard the guy say, receive the ball. Uh, that's, that's a lie, sorry. I heard one girl say, and I heard one guy. <laughs> guess what that, that brother's, I was going to say that dude. Guess what that, guess, trying to keep up with it. Who, guess what that brother's called? He's called the wide receiver. Huh. He is actively responding to the quarterback. Actively. If I throw my Bible at you and you don't catch it, 
actually, you're not being passive. You're actually being active. I throw my Bible at you and you don't catch it, you just cross your hand and let it drop to the floor. I mean, first of all, you're being feisty, <laughs> right? But what you're, ba- you're basically telling me, without telling me, that you don't want it. You're being passive, but you're actively rejecting. Can you see that? And some of you are hearing this for the first time. What is your response to this good news? What is your response? Others, you've heard this, um, you've heard this many times. I'm trying to cut back on my exaggeration. You've heard this many times. What is your response? Some of you constantly, passively, yet actively rejecting this. But just because you come to church doesn't mean that you believe this. Well, just because you come to church doesn't mean that you receive this like you want this. I mean, if you know that brother wants that ball. When he hits that end, end zone, he wants that ball. He don't, there ain't nothing that he wants more than that ball. That's what it means to actively receive. Just because you come to church doesn't mean that you receive this good news. Tell the, tr- tell the truth and shame the devil. Come on now. Because the, the Bible indicates that if a person is in that place, you're deceiving yourself. That doesn't make no sense. It sounds harsh, but really, I'm trying to do you a favor. Because you keep going to church for another 20 years... Two hours, three hours on a Sunday. That's a whole heap of time that you could be doing something else. The Bible. We can deceive ourselves. We, you can be so. I suppose the deceived are so deceived. They don't know that they're deceived. See, you're either here saying, throw it to me. Oh. I want it, give it to me. This is, Lord, this is good news, Lord. Thank you. I I receive it. I appreciate it. I I appropriate it. Or you're saying, you know what, this is long. You weren't excited to come to church today. Truth be known, you're really not feeling this. And you won't actively embrace the good news. We won't think if it was bad news, but you won't actively embrace this good news. You're here and you don't even know why. Well, maybe you're here just to please people or to get people off your back. Or maybe you think, you know, if I go to church, God will bless me. If I just, you know, I live like the devil the rest of the week, but on a Sunday, I'll just go to church and expect God to, to bless me. I mean, what do we take God for? That's like, that's like having a, a child that you never want to see, you never spend time with. But then oh, it's their birthday. Be like, oh yeah, I've got to get them a birthday present, innit? And you turn and be like, oh, ah, here's your birthday present. Ah, oh, man's got to go, you know. 
Man's got things to do still, so why? What's that? I mean, a child would be able to look at that and think, okay, maybe when they're one, two, they wouldn't see that. But after a few years, they'd be like, fam, I don't even want your presence. Keep your, keep that. See? Won't actively embrace this good. And I say that because, you know, the fact is, just like the Corinthians, you're still having sex with someone that's not your wife or your husband. Still looking at pornography. Still lying. Still getting drunk. Still smoking drugs. Whether it's weed or tobacco. Still looking for love in all the wrong places. Tell me I'm lying. And without the, without the help of the gospel, I will do the same thing. Trust me, there's sometimes I feel like, boy, I'm not even a drinker. I've never been drunk in my whole life. I don't know what it means to be drunk, but I should stop saying that really, because if you drink one glass of wine or me, I'll drink a Guinness or something like that. I can't drive. And they say, obviously, they say you can't drive if you're over, I don't know, what is it, 1.5 units. And they say that for a reason, don't they? Because you can't control the vehicle in a way that you would normally. So I suppose just one Guinness is junk. Is a Guinness over the limit? I don't even... Now, I, now I'm, I'm saying, you know, if you struggle with that stuff, I'm not pointing a finger at you, but I am pointing it out. Because the text points it out. First Corinthians points it out. And I'm saying, I'm, I, I, I'm just as guilty as the next person, but probably in another way. I can stand up here and boast, oh, I've never been drunk in my life. But what does that mean? What about the other areas of your life, Robert? Yeah, you're right, fam. I'm not even going to dwell on that too long. because. And you can see that this good news is actually for you, but it's actually also for me. It's for us sinners. And here it comes. Here's the ball. Are you going to catch it? Are you going to receive it? Now you stand there and it bounces off your shoulder. It bounces off your head. It bounces off your heart. Just like the seed that falls on the wayside. How many of you know the wayside in Matthew 13 is still soil? But it's so hard that the seed just bounces. And the birds of the air, they come down and they snatch it away. And yet Paul would say, as, 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 as you reject that, Paul would say, and you know, sometimes, I ain't got time. Paul would say, you're rejecting the only substantial offer in the universe. Somebody can offer you something and it's all, it's all right for five minutes. It's like, it's nice. But come a week later or a month later or a year later or five, ten years later. That's our problem. You see, nowadays, we don't think about the future. We just think short term. We don't think past lunch, right? And because of that, we don't make good decisions. God help us. Even as Christians. Like, I can say, fam, you're, you're not a Christian. This is good news for you. But I'll be like, you're not, what? You're Christian. 
What? What are you on? This is good news for you too. Paul says this is, he goes on, doesn't he? He says, this is something solid that you can stand on. This is something that you can build on. You can build your life on, he says in verse 1. And I make reference to Matthew chapter 7 because Jesus tells a very simple yet profound parable with regards to being able to stand on something, doesn't he? In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through to 27, verse 24, Everyone then, says the Lord Jesus, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, it's two things, hears and does, that's active, does, right? Will be like a wise man who built his house where? On the rock. Now, the next verse speaks about difficult circumstances, drama, trials, and storms that hit your life. Verse 25, and the rain fell and the floods came. And guess what? They will come. Trust me on that. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall. Why? Because it was founded on the rock. Now listen to the antithesis or the exact opposite. Listen to the flip side, verse 26. And everyone, notice excluding no one, everyone who hears, okay, we heard that the first time, everyone who hears these words of mine, but oh, he doesn't do them, passive, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And same thing is going to happen to him. Rain fell, here comes the drama, floods came, here comes the trials, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Oh, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Now notice, both men in the parable do what? They both hear the message. They both go to church regularly. But one is active and the other one is passive. One is wise and the other one is what? See, have you received this good news and are you standing on it? Have you built your life on it? These Corinthians have received it and they've built their lives on it and they've been saved. Now that's all in verse (laughs) 1. But as great as it is, As great as it is, for getting saved initially, because that's what the good news does to us. As great as it is, just for getting saved initially, the gospel isn't just for getting saved. It's also for staying saved. Verse 2, the the first part of verse 2, verse 2a if you like. And by which you are what? Now, some translations don't have being saved. And that's not very helpful at this point. They're not pinpoint accurate in their translation. So let me give you another verse that I believe is in most of the translations that don't have it in that verse. Let me give you another verse that supports this idea of progressively being saved. It's, it's living in the already and the not yet. Ephesians 2 verse 8. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you are 
You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Now, it's all about tenses. What is the tense in that verse? Is it past, present, or future? It's past. It's something that has already happened. Can you see that? You have been saved. Okay. How about 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18? You've got to click this thing twice, child. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. I hope that's not you. But if you are, there's good news for you today. But to us, who are what? Being saved. Hopefully that's in your translation. Being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the cross. Now what is the tense there? Is it past, present, or future? You see that? It's present. Being saved. Continual present tense. Okay, how about Romans 5 verse 9? Since, there, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Can you see that the tense there is future? We have been saved, we're being saved, we are yet to be completely saved. We have been delivered, we're being delivered, and we're yet to be completely and totally delivered. Can you see that? Another banging, beautiful, biblical way of saying the same thing is, we have been justified, we are being sanctified, and we are yet to be glorified. Paul mentions it in the verse we just looked at, in, at the bottom in verse 9. Therefore, since therefore we have now been justified. That's the first part of salvation. And if you're here, it's taken place in the past. You have been saved. Spurgeon puts it like this. He says, salvation is wonderfully all-encompassing. Because we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are presently being saved from the power of sin. And in the future, we will be completely saved from the presence of sin. Oh my gosh. This describes the three aspects of our salvation. Salvation is already and not yet. And the point that Paul is making here is that the gospel isn't only vital for your justification, it's also vital for your sanctification. It's vital for becoming a Christian, but you know, it's also vital for growing as a Christian. You have to see that. And he says only, you know what, if you what? Back to 1 Corinthians 15. Put your nose back in your Bible. Turn your phone back on, because it's probably switched off. Long talking, isn't it? What does he say? If you do what? If you hold fast. Oh, I wanted some help today, but you ain't giving it to me. It's all right. I amen myself, like Corey read. If you hold fast, it's another active verb. This hold fast, it means to have, to hold, to hold fast, to hold down, to possess, to retain, to seize. I mean, wow, talk about active. That's far from passive. And it's another reminder to remember. Because the King James Version, probably only one of you that's got this, Harry, is he even here? 
The King James, I put this in just for her. The King James Version says, to hold in memory. It's another reminder to remember. He says, if you hold fast to the word or the message, the good news, the gospel that I preach to you. See, the key to a joy-filled Christian life isn't being passive. It's not about trying harder. It's holding fast to the word. Holding to the gospel and putting your trust in him who is the gospel Jesus. And he's able to save you. This is the message Paul preached. And and he thought that they believed or did they? He says, unless you believed in vain. He's saying, you do believe, don't you? And today your response to that might be, you know what, Pastor Rob? I do believe, you know. But I'm like that man who wanted, I think his son healed. He said, I do believe, but help my unbelief. You'd be like, I do believe, but fam, man's is struggling. I do believe, but bro, a sister's out here struggling. I do believe, but you know what? Sin is getting the better of me. Well, I want to remind you. That the gospel is for you who are saved. That is, you've been justified but are struggling. Now, as messed up as these Corinthians are, Paul still refers to them as brothers, as sisters, as Christians. This is important because very often when when your behavior stinks and doesn't match up to your profession, it can very often bring massive condemnation and shame and guilt That is if you're not clear on the gospel. Because guess what? Jesus took our shame. He took our our guilt. But Paul appreciates that sometimes believers will act sinfully. This doesn't mean that you're not saved. It might just mean that you're immature. You're immature. And... At the early part of this letter, listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, early part of the same letter. He says, but I, ah, see him again? Paul always, Paul always gives the benefit of the doubt. He says, I brothers, Christians, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. As what? Infants in Christ, babies immature. You've been born again, but you're a baby. You're a 15 year old baby. Maybe 10, or maybe five. One year old. I mean, if you know, there's a certain time when you don't mind changing nappies. You know? And the baby comes running out, right? Ain't got no nappy on. Running out, right? <laughs> Hanging out all over the place, right? And you laugh at that. It's cute. When they're one. <laughs> How many of you know? When you're 16, it's, it's, it's not cute. There's a time when I'll happily help you to tie your laces, but there's going to come a time I'll be like, sorry? You want me to what? Verse 2, he says, I fed you with milk, because you're a baby. Not solid food, because you can't chew, you're not on a teat, right? For you were not ready for it. 
Imagine, imagine if I give you a big old steak and you're a baby. The, mo- the most you can do is lick the gravy off of that. For while there is, look, while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? You're not that, but you're behaving like that. You're not human, you're superhuman. When I made a note of that, I thought, oh, I felt like I'm going to break out into song like last week. You're not human. The point is, you're superhuman. Because of the power of the spirit that's at work in you. You have a power working in you that other unsaved, unregenerate non-Christians don't have. You're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Old things supposed to have passed away. Behold, all things supposed to be new. And remember, you know, there are only two races. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. Only two races. In Adam, all die. I mean, that, that, that's, that's encouragement not to, not to be a part of that crew, that group. In Adam, all die. In Christ, all should be made alive. Forget about African, West Indian, Chinese, Asian, Caucasian. These aren't different races. They're different shades of the same race. The human race. But then there's a supernatural race. Paul talks about it later on in our chapter in verse 47 through 49 in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, the man, the first man, Adam, not, not this one, the first man, Adam, the one that, he was from the earth, a man of dust. But the second man, who's that? Jesus. We've done that at Christmas, right? The second man, Jesus, is from heaven. Remember, because, and it says first man, second man. You'd be like, but there was like millions of men before Jesus and Adam. Mm. No, they weren't. Not like Adam and like Jesus. Remember, Adam was made. He wasn't, he never had a mom and dad. He never had an innie and an outie, right? Jesus, in similar fashion, Jesus is not like, like the rest of us. Jesus said, I'm here. Remember, they were having a guy. Jesus said, you know, I'm here having come from the father how many of us can say we came from anywhere when we was born adam and G- two unique men first man adam second man christ only two federal heads of two races first man adam was from the earth verse 48 and As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. That is sinful after Adam fell, right? And as the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we should also bear the image of the man of heaven. There's only two races. And the bad news is that there are only two groups. Which one are you in? On a level. Come on, we can talk, right? You're here. That means we've got love for each other. It's not even a hard sell. I'm not even trying to hot anybody up. I'm like, you know what I mean? We're supposed to love one another. So that means we've got to speak the truth to one another in love. And I know it's unfair because I'm doing the talking. You can't even respond to me. 
But I'm saying, let's, come, let's be honest, isn't it? The Bible says, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Which group are you in? Because it's real easy to switch groups one way. I mean, you once you come to one group, you can't actually go back to the other group. But if you're in Adam, you can be in Christ today. Before you, you can walk out, you can walk in this, in this building, nearly said church, but the building ain't a church, we're the church. You can walk into the building in Adam and walk out today in Christ. If, and my brother, my sister, if you are in Christ, you're a part of his new race. You're a new species. You're a new creation. You've been changed and you are being changed and you are yet to be completely changed. I hope that would encourage someone's heart today. You are saved, but you're being saved and you're yet to be completely saved. Be encouraged. You've been justified if you put your trust in Christ. You're being sanctified and you're yet to be totally glorified. And the point is, you're being processed, my brother, my sister. See, salvation isn't something that that only happens to you when you get saved. Salvation is something that progressively happens to you. I felt that was a real important point to make. Paul's like, I'm taking it for granted that you genuinely believe the good news that I announced. And through this gospel, you're being saved. That doesn't sound like a complete and final job has been done on these Corinthians. Can I give you a a crude example? Like a caterpillar, they're still being processed. Now, how many of you know a caterpillar isn't a butterfly and a butterfly isn't a caterpillar? But how many of you know that caterpillars are butterflies? In the life of a butterfly, a miracle takes place twice. What are you laughing at, Linda? Down there, cause trouble. In the life of a butterfly, a miracle takes place twice. One, when a caterpillar is born. How many of you know that's a miracle? But then the second miracle takes place when a caterpillar is transformed into a beautiful butterfly, right? When you experienced the new birth, when you were born again, that was a miracle. But there's an ongoing miracle presently taking place in your life. And it's God transforming you into his image and likeness, restoring what Adam, what Adam lost. The very moment you were born a caterpillar, you were destined to become a butterfly. That's the wonderful result of the work of this message when it's received. But some won't receive it. And it comes so close You know, you can be so close and yet be a million miles away. Like Judas, riding with Jesus, you know. I was like, yeah, well, go on, yeah, cool. Man's is with Jesus, you know, still. Riding with Jesus. Three and a half years, even to the point where at the Last Supper, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And they're like, what? Who? Which one? Who? Because even the disciples, the genuine ones, didn't know who 
How many of you know that's scary? Jesus said, you know what? In the church, there are going to be wheat and tears. There's always only two groups. Remember, wise man, foolish man. Five wise virgins, five foolish virgins, right? You're going up or down. You're either in or you're out. There's two roads. There's a broad road. There's a narrow road. I mean, every time you look at anything in the scriptures with regards to the church, there's only two categories. And I was going to make a really good example then, but it's gone. Talk too much, see? Judas. You could have never tell. But the thing is, you see, Judas was sitting around the table, but he wasn't active. He was passive. And, and we can't tell. Jesus said, the wheat, <laughs> two, the wheat and the tares were what? They'll grow up together. And they're like, oh, all right, shall we pull them up? Lord's like, no, don't, don't, don't pull them up. If you pull up the good ones, you, you might pull up. If you pull up the bad ones, you might pull up the good ones too. Leave them. And let them grow and let them continue until the harvest, which is synonymous with the judgment. You see, this is, this is too serious for us to uh, play games with. Like church, we just come and we just sing songs and we just say nice things. I mean, it ain't easy to say these hard things. Don't think I'm gloating up here as I say these things. My heart breaks. He says, leave this. He says, don't pull them up. Because you know what? Imagine if I was a false convert and I wasn't a genuine Christian. And in tutus, you heard that. You found that out. Now, I could get found out because I could sin. I'm going to gross sin. And you'd be like, I can't believe it. You'd be like, but you'd say the same thing, even if I never got found out. If you found out that I was a fake. And it could rock you. It could, it could, it could. So many times you see a preacher who's really high profile fall. And people, as a result of that, like dominoes, you know. That's what Paul says um, in Timothy. It says, these brothers, Hymenus and Philetus, what they're preaching is like cancer. And it will kill the church. You'd be like, but that's the kind of effect another can have on another. Judas, riding with Jesus. But I mean, even though Judas weren't riding with Jesus, Judas weren't down to ride. And this is going to be hard to swallow, but some people are not caterpillars, they're slugs. They're fake caterpillars. How many of you know a slug will never become a beautiful butterfly? Would you like to know what a... I got myself in trouble there. Would you like to know what a slug, a fake Christian looks like? 1 Corinthians 5, same book, verse 11. 
Paul says, but now I'm writing to you not to associate. This is hard language, you know. But, I'm, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or sister if he or she is guilty of sexual immorality. And we say, yeah, we know that one's serious still. But look at the rest of the list. Someone who's guilty of greed. Hmm. I don't know. So many different ways you could, you could see that. Greed. Or is an idolater, see? Paul, don't take it for granted that Christians don't worship idols. Or a reviler, or uh uh-oh. Or a drunkard. How many of you know drinking is not a sin? And I hope I don't paint that picture. I don't think we ever try to communicate that. It's all right for you to have. How could I tell you you can't have a drink when Jesus turned water to wine? And it weren't grape grape juice. Of course you can have a drink, but... You can't get drunk. You can't get drunk. It's a sin. It's not an illness. And I know because my mother-in-law, and I know my wife won't, won't be offended at me saying this, my mother-in-law is an alcoholic. And it's tragic. It's... I went to this thing. It is... Mash up the time today, man. I went to this, um... you know that my wife and I were foster carers, right? Went to this training. We do loads and loads of training. And it was, it was on alcohol and drug awareness. And I thought, okay, alcohol and drug awareness. Halfway through the thing, I sat down and I thought, wait a minute. Alcohol and drug awareness? Why don't you just say drug awareness? Because alcohol is a drug. The only thing is it's legal. Call the thing what it is. He also goes on to say, Revilers, this is swindlers. He says, anyone, oh no, actually, next verse, a swindler. He says, don't associate, imagine, don't associate with that person, not even to eat with such a one. Who is that? That's not the people that you work with, because Paul says that in the context of 1 Corinthians 5, if you read it, right? He's not saying not the unbelievers in the world, because that's what they do. That's what we did as unbelievers. A dog barks because it's a dog. You know what I mean? What I mean is sinners sin because they're sinners. They can't do no better, right? But he's saying who? An individual that calls themselves a brother. It's better that you just say, you know what, fam? Boy, man's just struggling out here and it's a thing where... But I'm, I hope that, boy, maybe back then when I, when, I, when I thought I asked Christ to save me, it was a genuine thing and I got baptized and, you know what I mean? Maybe I need to return to my first love. I'd be like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what you need to do. But sometimes, you know what? The issue ain't... You need to come back to the Lord. The issue is, did you ever come to the Lord in the first place? And it ain't a case of coming back to the Lord. You need to come to the Lord. Up until now, you ain't received yet. And Paul says, a person who's saying, yeah, man, yeah, what's going on? Yeah, man, safe, yeah. You come in church, oh, I'm not sure. You might see me this month, I'm not sure. Might just roll true, you know, might just come true still. Show my face and that. Come and see, yeah, what's going on, everybody? Yeah, safe, safe, what? Yeah, safe, safe, safe. Bible says if that's you and you're carrying on like this and we find out about it, why do you think we go to the lengths that we do? You think we enjoy having people come up the front? I just want to, it's, it's, 
Those are some of the worst experiences I've ever had in my life. Having to have someone come up the front and expose, expose them. But the Bible says we do that because, one, you test the person's genuine repentance. And two, everybody will see it and fear. They'll be like, Rob, fam, you're I'm thinking about going to that South London. Fam, boy, how, if you know, I don't know, know if you're sure you want to go to that church, you know, Picard. You, man, like, but my fam, man's is looking for a wifey. And you know, man can't really look for no, I'm looking for a church girl. Man, I'll be like, easy. How many of you know there's been times, and we're not, we're not perfect at it. I'm taking some license today. We're not perfect at it. But sometimes when we hear that a man is like stalking a young lady in here, we're like, really? And tutors, we give that young lady some advice. Our man's his speech and they're like, yeah, I really like you, you know, and we're going to go out for dinner. Because he ain't going to come across like real, like a sloth, right? Proper slovenly. He ain't going to be like, well, um, you get me? Like what you saying? You know what I mean? He's going to come across with a bit of tact because he's in church, right? So, so we say to a young, he'd be like, yeah, I want to take you out for dinner, you know. And it's one of them round the corner ones. You don't really. I'm making her feel special. And she hears that and she's like, oh. I mean, as a young lady, you know what I mean? As, as a woman, when a man shows appreciation, when a man shows you some kind of, it makes your heart flutter. You see, a man knows this. That's why. And he's, so we say to them, really? He wants to take you out? Cool. Just say to him, oh, you want to take me out? Yeah. I want to take. Just say to him, just say to him, okay. Is it okay if I just bring my girls along and we can all have some fellowship together? He's like, I was asking you out. I was asking you and your brethren's them out. I'm asking, oh, so what? Can't that work? Man, I'd be like, and if the young lady doesn't necessarily have the confidence to do that, then one of us will step to him. Say, what's, what's going on, fam? Ain't really seen you around here that, that long. What's your name? Cool, I'm Robert or whatever. And we get into some kind of conversation and find out, what, find out his agenda. Heard that you spoke to... What's going on, brother? What are you saying? Obviously, you're not going to have to take time. Brother might be serious and he just might not know how to go about these things, right? Wow, I took a long time on that one. But that person might be a wolf. In sheep's clothing. And we've got to protect the young lady, innit? Like I said, we're not perfect at it. We're trying. I lie past the P. We're trying. And we're trying to set the tone so you know this is how we function. But if that person, it says, don't even eat with them. You know what they are. Matthew 18, that's what I'm saying. Matthew 18 for them, right? First Corinthians 6, same book. I'm not going to come back next week on this, you know. We have to finish this. First Corinthians 6. Do you not know, says Paul, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, look, remember what I said earlier? Because we can be deceived. He says, do not be... De- the man ain't going to say that if there, if there ain't potential for it to happen. He says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. 
doesn't mean that we don't love these people. Because we were like that at one point, right? He's going to say that in verse 11. Neither, neither thieves, same group. Enough, a whole heap of people want to say, yeah, them gay man. Bonal, da 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 man, right? And as soon as you start talking to them, but wait a minute. What about those who steal? Oh, come on, you don't know. Like man's just on a grind, isn't it? Oh, it's twisted. They're all in the same category. Nor the greedy, again, nor drunkards, revilers, swindlers. None of them will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. How many of you know caterpillars change? Slugs don't change. Like a dog returns to its vomit, like the pig back to its wallowing in the mire. Because a dog is a, and a pig is, such were some of you, slugs, but you were changed. You became caterpillars. Are you changing? It has to be asked, doesn't it? Or are you still the same? And only you can really answer that question, honestly. The Bible says that the process of change begins with repentance and faith. That means every one of us can walk out of your caterpillars. Just repent. God, I've flopped. I'm sorry, forgive me. Change me. Did you you know that conversion, right, is not something that you do to yourself? If I said, what's that program where they do the cars and they make them over? Thank you. Pimp my right. You're not going to help me now. All right. Maybe I need to be a bit more direct in the future, right? Amen. Pimp my ride. Now, when they get a car, and my man is the exhibit, the rapper, when they when they the American version. Who, I'm going to talk about the English version. But when, they come, when, when, when they transform that car, right? What does the car do to contribute to its conversion? It don't, thank you, but it don't do nothing. The car's just, it's everyone who's working on it and changing it and shit and pulling things off and putting. The car's, yet the car's converted. Do you know you, you contribute nothing to your conversion? None of your good works. That's one of the first things God says you must repent of. Hebrews 6. The fundamental doctrines of the principles of the fundamental principles of the doctrine of Christ. The first one out of the list is what? Repentance from dead works. It's me saying, Raw Lord, you know what? No matter if I go to church for the rest of my life, seven days a week, if I go three times a day, if I read my Bible nonstop, if I memorize the whole striking thing, nothing contributes to my salvation. None of it. For by grace, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, just to confirm, not of works, lest any man should boast. We don't contribute nothing to our conversion. But if that's the case, fam, be like the car that, be, that says... Like, you, you know, remember that, thing, that, that film Cars with the, with, with, the, with the cartoon car? Be like one of them cars and put up your wheel and say, God, I want to be, tra- be converted. You can do that. 
Look, God, convert me. I'm here. Oh, there's a whole long line. Of, I, I want to be one of those that wants to be convert. Convert me. We can do that. And that's my plea. That you will bawl out to the Lord. Like the man, was, was he blind? Or one of the guys in one of the, in one of the Gospels. Was it Bartimaeus? Was, it, was that Bartimaeus? Did he cry to Jesus? Or was that the man at, in Acts? Bawl out to the Lord! Like that brother. Find out and tell you who it is next week. Put it up, put it up on the vine or something. Bawl out like that brother. He weren't waiting for nobody. He didn't care about... People were saying, shut your mouth. What's wrong with you, man? Calm down. The master ain't really got time for you. Lord! He weren't having it. And two to it was like, okay. And the Lord responded to him. I'm like, you can't contribute anything to your conversion, but you can bawl out and ask God to convert you. And the beautiful thing is he will. Because... I need to get down to gym, man. Because it says, all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be saved. Man, I've got so much more to, to do. Can I take a liberty and come back again next week? Carl, you lot are dying. Poor Kay's over there. Poor Kay. I see Kay's rice rolling over. <laughs> it don't matter how much animated... I get up here. Sis, don't worry. I know that feeling. She's probably been up making cakes for one of the brothers or sisters who's having a party or something. Isn't it? Sis, hush. It's all right. <laughs> Lord. Let's, let's, let's draw this to a close. Shall we pray? Yeah, I'm going to ask maybe the, 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 the praise team to come join me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you very much that we can call you Father and that you relate to us in that manner. And an earthly father loves his kids. That is a well-balanced earthly father. Thank you for great pictures of fathers that love their kids. They hold them. They, they play with them. They put them on their shoulders. They spend time with them. They tuck them in at night. We know what a good father looks like, even though there are loads of examples of bad ones. But how can, we, we can't even compare you to an earthly father. Such is the love that you have for us. And we see that. We know that. Lord, I don't need you to show me that you love me because you already have Romans 5. It says that you demonstrated your love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We don't need you to do anything else to show us that you love us because Jesus already stretched out his arms as wide as he could in communicating your love for us when he died. And so, Father, we here as your children, you are our Father. We need to ask you to forgive us.
Father, we need to ask that you would forgive us for the times when we failed you, for those times when we misrepresented you horribly. Lord, and that is breaking the third commandment. Father, it's taking the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. That's us saying, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah, yeah, yeah. But my actions communicate otherwise. Father, that's a sin. Would you forgive us for not representing you, our Father? You'd be like, you're my son, you're my daughter, you got my name. How comes police is coming to my door telling me that you committed a crime? My kids don't do that. And yet, Father, we know that as much as when we've committed that sin, we've committed that infraction and we've done it and we've done it and we've done it a number of times over and over again. Thank you that where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And we thank you that the scripture says we, even though we've sinned, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And Father, unlike Adam, when he flopped, that was it. But Father, when we flop now, there's a safety net. When we slip off the high wire, Lord, we don't come crashing to the ground and splat. We fall into the safety net. That's the Lord Jesus. Father, this is good news for us. And it's good news for us as Christians. Those that you've saved, those that you've justified. Because we cry that to you and ask you to save us. But Father, I want to thank you today that you're progressively saving us. And I pray, Father, that you'd encourage our hearts today. If we're in that place where our life is like a, di- like, like a dinosaur, Lord, it's just flop, lop, lopagus. Our life is missed. Our lives look like a train wreck. Lord, thank you. Because 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. To forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We may have to brace ourselves for the consequences of our sins. But ultimately, Jesus took the full and and the final consequences for our sins when he went to the cross. That's good news for us, Father. And Daddy, I want to pray for those who, who, who up until this point haven't been able to call you Father. Because they don't know you. They've never been saved. They've never asked Jesus to save them, to convert them. But Lord, I pray, oh God, that, that they would cry out to you even today. And they say, Lord, I'm a busted wreck. I'm a car that's only set for the scrap heap. Engine mash up, bare miles on the clock. I'm worn out. I don't gleam and shine like I used to. Even if you put petrol in me, I can't run. Lord, someone who's broken down and burdened with sin, Lord, I pray that they'd cry out to you today and that you might save them. And start that process in their lives, Lord. And that we'd encourage that person. That we'd come around that person as we come around one another. And support one another. And encourage one another. If you've forgiven us, how can we not forgive one another? Lord. Lord. And it's in the name of the Lord Jesus we get opportunity to pray these things. 
and for his sake. Amen. find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.